This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Lanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. How are you doing, Cynthia? I'm doing pretty well for somebody who's just had a little surgery. That explains my bandage. <laughs> I thought you were just a badass. That's what I <laughs> you should see the other guy is what I yeah, said. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way that goes. No, um, it's always great to have people on here. And in particular for me, I'm always fascinated by psychologists and the work that they do, right? And the study that you have to undergo and how that makes you look at people and things of that nature. Uh, but the way we always like to kick things off on this show is uh, with a traditional question that I think opens up a lot of uh, opens up a can of worms, if you will. And that is, do you yourself come from a family of business owners, entrepreneurs, writers? Um, no writers in my family, but uh, my grandfather was a self-made man, you know, somebody who came from poverty and worked his way through the mills and became a very respected gentleman in town. And um, my father was just um, a self-made man, too, I guess you'd say. He went to college. He went to the war. He came home with a war bride. And then he ended up... Um, working for himself in real estate and insurance. So entrepreneurial, yes. Um, writers, no, but we all read a lot. I see. Okay. So that was a common thing growing up in the household was reading books, things of that nature. And sure. self-madeness. Now, did that have any impact or influence on you growing up, watching that, knowing that I that's how they carry themselves? Well, I absolutely respected how my grandfather had done things because he lost his dad very young and had to be the man of the house early. I thought that he instilled in me that never give up and you can make it. And if something goes bad, you can find a way out. You can always find a way out. He had just opened a small brokerage firm when the market crashed. So everything he owned had been put into that that um, partnership. I don't know exactly how his partner survived it, but he immediately went to selling life insurance because so many men who were devastated and could not cope were killing themselves literally during that time when the market crashed that he thought, let's give them some comfort. Let's give the wives and families some comfort. And he did very well. So he um, at the end of World War II, he was uh, a contractor uh, overseeing the building of homes. And he built small homes that were affordable. So small families, starter families, guys just getting home and being the dads of the baby boomers could have a family place. And so every time there was something that looked like it would crush his environment, he figured something out. And that's the way I look at life. Wow. 
Okay, that's a, that could be a story in itself. Yeah, yeah, that's deep. That's deep right there. Good and deep. Should be. Yeah, and and so then, uh, where 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 for you? Uh, is it in high school, college, that you start to decide for yourself? Like, I'm going to go in this direction. I'm going to go into psychology and and understand the human psyche and and how that affects people. I really think around sophomore year in high school, I decided that I wanted to know why some people behaved as they did. And I won't say that that excluded family members. I had a few concerns. So I read the complete works of Freud as a sophomore or the summer before my junior year. I don't know that I understood it all. And I don't know that I believe Freud so, uh, you know, book, line and sinker today. But I read it and I was trying to see if that would fit for me. And then I followed a route when I started college that led me to becoming a psychologist. Yeah, I mean, I'm also uh, more of a fan of Adler myself, but I I do think it has a lot to say. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Okay, so now the story starts to get interesting because you do go into retirement and turn into an author. Right now, a lot of us on the show here that have uh, ambitions to write books have written books. Jason himself is a multiple best, uh, multiple times bestseller. What was the book writing process like for you? Was it sort of another day at the office, given that you're a professor and writing papers and things of that nature is just what you do? Maybe to some extent. I mean, as a, a professor, I had to publish or perish, as they say. And I did along the way write um, trade books, books about, I was a researcher in eating disorders, so some books about that. And then I wrote a textbook with a physician friend, and that book is still in print, and that was written in the early 80s. So I enjoyed it, and people could understand it. I wanted to be understood if I was going to put it out there. But it wasn't creative writing it was you follow the science you follow the rules and you you put something out there that will be of help so when i retired i took some other jobs that i thought would be interesting because i wasn't quite as ready to be retired as i had thought i was and i ended up working in addiction and i ended up uh, you know managing a, a medium sized social service program just because I had been teaching it, I thought I'd better see if I could do it. And that was very interesting, but it was hard work. So when I finally retired, retired, I then went into um, a a spell where I felt like I wasn't doing anything important. And I I decided to uh, see if I could finally write that novel. But first I had one thing to get out of the way And that was a memoir about the Italian side of my family, because my mother, having been a war bride, had brought such a rich culture to our family. I mean, going from she went from Rome, Italy to Manchester, New Hampshire. Can you imagine culture shock? Um, She was a city girl. She wore high heels all the time. And here we were in New Hampshire. Manchester is a very nice city but it, it's not a lot like Rome. And so it was um, a, an interesting childhood being in both worlds. I only know how to cook in Italian. 
um, you, you know, things like that and having a big family there. So I put that into a memoir and it was so much fun to write and it didn't go far, but it got a lot of praise. It might've gone further without the pandemic because every time I spoke somewhere, I sold a bunch of books, but then I stopped speaking because of, of the COVID. So um, I was home and I decided to write novels and that's how it kind of got started. Surprisingly, thanks to COVID. Yeah, no, I, I love this. And I, and I want to put a pin here just for a second before I take it further. I want to check in with Jason. I'm sure he's loving the stories, in okay. particular with the war bride and what's going on. Yeah. Jason, come on in. Yeah, I, you know, I love books. I don't like writing books, um, but uh, but I love books. Uh, we're, we're kicking out our ninth book um, now. And there's just something that draws you to that, right? Um, I don't know what it is, but it just keeps sucking me in over and over again. <clears throat> and I don't consider myself a writer, but, but I love the novel idea, right? Because you can take this story and shape it however you want. Um, and with your unique background and your mom and, and dad and the war bride and all that stuff, that is such a unique angle. And, you know, I was in the military for 23 years, so oh, I, I, didn't I, I, I understand the, uh, and, and in war and all that, that too, and, and understand that, I guess that dynamic of all that. Um, my wife's not a war bride, but um, she's also a military, was military too. But uh, but I knew a lot of people over the years that did have war brides, right? And it's a there's a lot of really unique stories that come out of that, right? From absolutely, uh, I mean, from you know some rags to riches types things, some, some like rags to more rags to hell. (laughs) Well, that's a title right there. (laughs) It's not always a good thing. That's for sure. But, but no, I'm, I'm really interested in kind of exploring that whole dynamic of things a little bit further with uh, your family, for sure. It's good stuff. Well, what I really would love to speak about is the the book I've just finished about my mother-in-law, who was also a war bride. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I know. Well, my my husband and I are very well matched. And yeah. it's bizarre, but his mother and my mother were born a few hundred miles apart in wow. Europe. They both wow. married GIs. And they both had good marriages that lasted and three kids and, you know, the whole bit. But I never asked my mother-in-law, who was Slovenian, enough questions about Slovenia because I thought of it as an obscure part of then Yugoslavia. And I, I just didn't give it enough credit until I started doing more reading about the history of the war and about that eastern part of Europe. And it turned out that she had an amazing story as one of six kids who went, she was born just around World War I 
But by the time she was about ready to spread her wings and become a woman of the world, World War II was on them. So she was born in Austria-Hungary, then she was in Slovenia, then it was Yugoslavia, and they never moved. So it was a very strange time to be growing up. But one of her brothers had a most heroic experience, which I write about accurately and in detail. I say accurately because there's only so much you can know. We know the basic facts, you know, where he fought, who he fought for, how he was captured, how long he was captured. And then he disappears. And it's only with a lot of research that I've been able to discover what probably most likely happened to him. And in the novel, I can bring it to life. So it's a historical novel based really tightly on history, but with six people, young people I follow, I flush out that which is unknown to make it a real solid story about them. And two of them actually have extremely hero heroic experiences. It was wow. so much fun to write. Yeah. Well, even just the, it sounds like the the process of researching and developing all of that in itself is it sounds like it's something that you were really able to dive into. And you, is it because of your training as a professor that you were able to really make it? It just felt natural to actually get those stories out and do the writing. Cause for some people sitting down to write is like pulling teeth. <laughs> well, well, I have one um, hint for those folks, put it down, even if you think it's awful and come back to it, you can move from there. You've got to get that awful first diff um, chapter out of the way, then you can revise it. And then you, but you can move on once you've got that kind of out there. But in answer to your question, um, I always had to do research at the university, so it was not a new thing to me. But I think all good writers do their research. And I developed a bibliography for this novel that I didn't put in the book since it is a novel, but I put it on my website so that people could see the background I went through to to get up to that part. I mean, I read a 1956 Pulitzer Prize winning uh, book about uh, that part of the world that uh, was so fascinating. When I first saw it, I mean, it was a lot of little tiny writing, but the way that man, um, Ivo uh, looked at the bridge over the Drina is the title of the book and how this bridge changed the nature of the communities which had been isolated and everyone thought oh how wonderful now we can easily get to places but of course people could easily get to them and so there started up the conflicts between religions and groups that had hardly known each other or got along because they had to but now there were options it was really fascinating that you know describes the conflict we often see in that part of the world Wow. You know, it's funny is we live in a time now where just based off what you said, where we take for granted that there are bridges and roads and things of that nature. And yet, yeah. yeah. And now we have digital bridges that are creating a very similar circumstance where now people have access to each other and their beliefs and their points of views. In fact, too much access. And it's again, creating these, uh, uprisings, if you will, and between people and whatever factions, invisible lines they've drawn in the sand. And I just think it's 
It's fascinating how human nature, however, de however developed we are in te with technology, has not changed whatsoever over all these years. No, it, and uh, in human nature, I mean, when I look at the communists right now, am I allowed to be political? I mean, the, I'm so anti-communist and I'm so upset with this Ukrainian war, and it is so similar to what the communists were doing at the end of World War II, because they had helped the allies at the end, and it had appeared that they were good guys, but their methods were beyond good guy, and they wanted only to dominate and pick the fruit of the war by getting Yugoslavia and all of the territories they could around there. So they did some horrific things as the war ended at the end of the war in order to hang on to power and territory. And they left um, quite a stain on that part of the world before Tito, who was representing the communists, finally passed on. This is just heavy stuff. Okay, so now that we're, now that we're here, I'm yeah. curious, where can people go to learn more about the work that you're doing and things of that nature? Well, I have a website called, you know, it's HTTPS slash slash www.getbooksbycindy.com. Getbooksbycindy.com is the name of the, the website. My books are on Amazon. Can I hold up the latest one? Absolutely. Loud? Okay. Uh, does that show at all? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's called um, The Red Toque, which is, is a hat, actually, and Love and Loss in the Time of Tito. And this is the story of my mother-in-law and her five siblings and what they went through. Um, but it's told as a novel because naturally I didn't know everything. And in the novel, I can make a few things perhaps a little more interesting to the reader than just <laughs> This is when they were born and this is when they died kind of thing. Um, but no, I love it. It looks like a beautiful cover. Uh, I, I was wondering, because you are uh, the person that you are with the experience that you have as a professor in psychology, you're clearly a historian where, where, wherever it merits your research. Uh, and I imagine in other areas, I'm, I wonder, go back to maybe a time when you were writing your first book. Was there anything you would do differently? Uh, is there any way you can offer something where people can understand the power of tying a story together, something along that line? Um, have a lot of readers. Don't assume that you know what you're saying <laughs> because it may be misunderstood by others. So I gathered around me well, my husband, who is a great editor, and another friend who's a fabulous editor, in fact, she um, used to be a principal in a school and taught English. So you can't get a stricter editor than that. And then other friends who weren't necessarily from the writing universe, but they read. They were voracious readers. And I would say, would you buy this book? What would Tell me what's wrong with it. Don't, don't hold back. Let me know. And they would. And it never offended me. I wanted to know. And then I could fix it before I sent it on uh, actually to Jet Launch, where they turned my last four books into books. The um, memoir is a separate deal, but the novels are all through Jet Launch and then on Amazon. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. Trust only the people who give you unfiltered feedback. <laughs> Something like that. And, and not one or two, but as many as you can get. As many as you can get. There it is. And okay. they're doing you a big favor, you know, to read it and give feedback. I totally agree. I, it's funny. I, I don't know many people in particular my age who actually read anymore. It's one of the things that made no? me think twice about. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. Even if, if they do, it's like college credit or what have you. They, they just don't do any extracurricular reading and unless it's a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're too busy right now. Yeah. yeah, it's possible. It's possible. It, it definitely is a leisure activity and many people prefer to spend their time on Netflix. I mean, the programming is pretty good these days, right? HBO, what have you. I don't blame them, but there's just something that you can only find in a book. Well, also, I'm biased. Well, if you, oh, you, you publish on Netflix? Or? No, no. I'm just saying there are only things you can get on, on, uh, on books. I prefer reading personally. I would say if you really want to get back in reading, just read at bedtime. Just before you fall asleep, even if you only get through two pages because you're so tired, <laughs> it'll get you curious. And then the next day you may do a little more or if you have that little bit of insomnia once a week or whatever, you might find that it's good to have the book as your companion. I like that. That's true. And uh, if you're having trouble sleeping and you don't like reading, reading may help you go to sleep. <laughs> It'll bore you back to sleep. Right? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend books for boring. But <laughs> uh, Well, before I go into the grand finale, I want to check in with Jason here. Yeah, I think it's great that you were able to tie all this family history into these novels and be able to share that with the world that's a wonderful thing to get to do right i mean i i wish i had i mean i do have a rich history but it's not quite that rich of history um i can go all the way back to the civil war um with my family but it's a very very weird crooked tree we got going so it's 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 hard to say what's true and what isn't for sure so but but I think that's really neat what you've been able to do and be able to document your family story in your own way. And that's cool to get to do that for sure. Thank you. I, I have to add quickly that my first three novels were horror novels. They oh. weren't the maybe elements of my family in them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> truth, that's all truth. <laughs> interest of truth but um i we had restored a couple of very old houses and that had wet my appetite back then because there was a graveyard in the yard a gravestone excuse me a gravestone in the patio of our first old house and there was a secret passageway in our second old house and i used to read stephen king and things like that to break up my studies because they were hard and this was fun for me. So my first three novels are horror novels. They're very historical in terms of what's going on in the homes, the types of homes, the um, stories about how chimneys were built. The civil war enters into the sequel to the first horror novel. And there's some pretty ghoulish stuff that went on for real there. Um, 
And I also deal with racism and the first freed slaves and how they were treated in New England in that second book. So I'm kind of proud of that one, but um, I mean, I'm proud of all of them, really. It's just me. (laughs) But I want to warn the reader if they look Cynthia Herbert Adams or Bruski Adams up on Amazon, they will see three horror novels and they might find they should read the first one to see if they'll like the rest. I like that. No, I think I think it's a it it shows a lot of the uh, spanning of your writing capacity to be able to know that you started there and then went into other matters like memoirs and things of that nature. I I think it just it's important as a writer to to stretch right and to grow and often in particular like uh this is sort of I think something that ties back to business and content creation right often. Uh, you can have a lot of the same and you get used to that and you think you found your wheelhouse and that makes sense, but you never know where you can stretch. And it's in the stretching that you begin to lead and become a, a leader of thought, right? A thought leader, if you will, where you take something that may be uh, interesting to a few, may have some kind of murmurs of a conversation and you pushing that further is a thought leader, right? Some people go out into a cave and come up with entirely new, unique concepts. Well, I don't know how valuable they're going to be if they're that new and unique and nobody's ever heard of them and they're not relevant to anything anyone's talking about. And I feel like a lot of thought leaders get lost on that. Uh, So they're on either spectrum, either way too unique, right? Or way too predictable. And then they fall flat on either end instead of just giving that extra push just enough to make it different from what's out there. And so again, the fact that you have that history I think is very important to highlight and how that shows that it sounds like you've got a couple books left in you as well. So uh, I'm going to, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so for me, that's going to be exciting. And I want to remember, I want to remind everyone to go to getbooksbycindy.com again to keep things going. And uh, with that said, I think we should go over to the, uh, the, the grand finale, but before we do that, uh, you have, you have uh, something you want to say, Jason? Well, let's, uh, let, let's quickly recognize one of our wonderful sponsors that makes this show possible today um, in this episode. Uh, so take that away. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, so this really only exists because we do have sponsors <laughs> that help make this show possible. And for today, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to Joel Phillips of uh, ProShark. See, when it comes to business, uh, you're never really done growing per se. And I think anybody who's in business knows that there's different levels to it, but you always have challenges. So whether you're starting out in business in general, and you're wondering what tech should I use to get my business off the ground? Some people don't even know. Should I be using my regular email? Should you know uh, To all the way to where you need tools to help you get the right analytics and maybe even develop a web application or going into e-commerce and helping set up that channel for your shopping cart. You can save yourself time, money, and headaches by getting in touch with ProShark. And it's a turnkey digital solution that will cover all of that, digital marketing, ads, emails, apps, websites, fully equipped to even help you with cybersecurity. So... They're the kind of company that can actually grow with you to help you as your organization evolves. So the next time you're thinking about it and you're wondering what step should I take, just contact ProShark. You can go to ProShark.com and tell them that the war room sent you. So with that said, it's time for the grand finale. Drum roll. 
That was a terrible drum roll. Drum roll. Yeah. Right. Is it too early to beatbox? It? It's too early to beatbox. Okay. <laughs> we'll save that for later. Today. <laughs> um, yeah. So the grand finale that we like to ask on this show is if you could have invited anybody here today, Cynthia, who would you have loved to have had here? Like you, you get to pick any time and place in the world. Uh, why them? If you could, if you got a chance to have them here. Um, that's a tough question. There are so many who would interest me, but you know, my grandfather that I spoke of earlier, I would love to have him be a part of this as it is today. He might not quite get the technology and everything, but he always believed in me and he set such a fine example and he never treated me like a girl. He treated me like a person so that when I was making career decisions, he was very pro-education, very pro that I would go into fields that women hadn't done, gone into before, which which is pretty good for a guy born in 1890-something, you know. And the other person I might like to have, because personally he's been very helpful to me in the last few years, um, is Chris uh, O'Brien from Jet Launch, because I've run into a number of barriers as I was teaching myself to be an author, author. And he's always helped me find the solution. And, you know, I really appreciate that and think he's important to anyone starting out later on too. Hey, I can speak personally for that. He has published all of my books too. So, and and he's a director in one of my companies too. So, so, uh, great combination. It's a great I, I don't trust anybody else. Geez, I ended up plugging another. And to our next sponsor, Jet Launch Publishing. <laughs> well, he does seem to be honest. He does seem he to be honest. Yeah. And I belong to the Writers Guild. And all the time there are complaints in the chat there about authors who have been ripped off by agents, by publishers, yeah. by publishers not doing what they said they'd do. Um horror stories of of copyright infringement and everything like that. And when I call Chris, I don't feel like I'm getting somebody who's got his hand in my pocket. Uh, He's somebody who wants to make it work. And that's what you need. Good, honest man. No doubt about that. Yes. So true. Yeah, Yeah, I met him Mm -hmm. him a couple of times myself and uh, I've got nothing but personal uh positive vibes so uh, yeah i i can i can vouch for that too as somebody who knows them even less than both of you so that's a good spectrum to get to know somebody absolutely um, so with that he's a, said he's yeah. actually doing me and philip's book yeah we're working on something <laughs> next yeah. yeah i'll have to read it yes <laughs> no it uh it really was an interesting journey to be able to dive down sort of uh, your walk of life and how even now you're just getting started with your publishing and just getting it under your belt to go for the next couple of books. And I can't wait to see what you have in store for people who are, who are interested in that, because I know, I know for a fact, if a movie like saving private Ryan and what have you can be out there, then what you're doing, that is a movie waiting to happen. Those novels. I just mm-hmm. know it. So there's adaptations that are totally possible from what you're saying, uh, because we can hope. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> uh, but with that said, uh, uh, Cynthia, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, I'll let Jason roll us out since it is tradition. Nice to meet you, Philip. Yeah. Thank same. You. Yeah. Th- thanks for being here. Thanks for taking a sliver of your week to 
carve out to to share your story here on the war room. Um, very fitting story for the war room, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> A war book. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yes. So uh, anyway, we all have the same amount of hours in the week. And thanks for stopping by and taking just a few with us. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.